Oh, if you ever catch me starting a recording, by the way, doing like my baby voice, which is just like a quiet, sounds like I'm shy voice. I hate hearing it on pot. When I open it up and I'm like, God, you've got the baby voice again. Just stop me and be like, Haley, be louder. Speak like an adult. Puff your chest out a little. Okay. All right. (laughs) Gotcha. Okay. Welcome to Spinsters, a podcast for the girls and the gays. Hi, Jordan. Hi. Happy Pride. Happy Pride to you. Thank you. Obviously, as you can tell from my voice, I've been celebrating. <laughs> I I was thinking about the last big time that I've celebrated Pride. Um, I celebrated in New York a couple weeks, or a couple weeks, a couple years ago, and one time I was in San Diego during their Pride Parade and Natasha mm. Bedingfield was performing. What? Release your inhibitions. <laughs> Release your inhibitions. The rest is still unrented. That Natasha Bedingfield. It was amazing and it was a welcomed surprise. So that's a good little memory that I have. That's amazing. Um, as the Pride Parades have gotten a little bit, like there have been so much tension this year about are they you know, going to corporate, are Mm -hmm. we protecting the core of pride? It has always been nice. And I will say it's always at the forefront, like the WNBA. I just want to like applaud your girls. Yeah, the W has, I mean, we know that they're at the forefront and have led so many charges. And especially, you know, most recently, Lasia Clarendon, who is a WNBA player and just had an amazing feature by Katie Barnes and ESPN. And They are the first openly trans player to get top surgery. And just from the W as a unit, everyone has been so supportive and it was wonderful to see. Yeah. And shout out Katie Barnes. Yeah, definitely. Okay, guys, we will be right back after the break. Something you and I talk about a lot and something that's unavoidable when talking about how Pride Month fits into sports is that it's extremely lopsided between male and female sports and who has led the charge and done the extremely vulnerable and I'm guessing scary thing of sharing their sexuality with the public and their fans. And I forever want to applaud those who compete as female or non-binary in female sports who have come out only to be ignored in these conversations. I mean, how many articles have been written that we send to each other that are asking why aren't there more openly gay athletes when what they should be asking is why aren't there more openly male gay athletes or people competing as male? It completely dismisses the female side. Mm. And then to kick off to end Pride Month, Carl Nassib came out, which was incredible. It was so great. Player for the Raiders, your team now. Yeah, I was a Raiders fan growing up in Sacramento, and I didn't claim them probably for the past couple years, but now I'm a Raiders fan again, (laughs) and it's awesome. And now his jersey is like the top-selling jersey right now because of all of the overflowing support for him, which is beautiful to see. I love it. That is really beautiful, but I'm sure there's a very cringy Darren Rovell tweet somewhere. I know. Laying around in response to that. (laughs) Let's just be happy that something good is happening in the NFL for once. (laughs) Well, speaking of that, we have a contributor today, Zach Safford, who is a 
columnist for MSNBC. He worked for The Advocate and BuzzFeed in the past. Probably a bunch of other things, too, because he just does everything. And he's incredible. He's bringing us a story of his experience growing up watching Dennis Rodman and what that meant as a young boy trying to find someone to identify with. I have my own issues with Dennis Rodman. You know this. We Mm -hmm. get to this today. But there are so many norms in male sports that toxic masculinity keeps upright that Dennis Rodman really just ignored, especially gender norms. And so in many ways, he's a metaphor for this tension between queerness and masculinity in male sports. We were just talking about the W and who really leads the charge. And it's interesting to explore why that is, why we are where we're here today. And Zach gets into that. And I love hearing his personal journey of growing up with Rodman. So here's Zach. Welcome to the show. I'm so glad to have you. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here to talk about something I'm not an expert in, which is sports. You're not the sportiest, but <laughs> I'm not the sportiest. The story is close to your heart. It is. It is. I am really excited today to talk about Dennis Rodman, who I'm now saying is like the first black queer person I noticed. We call that a ring of keys within like the queer community, the first person you notice. Um, and what's funny is like, as you know, Dennis Rodman is a really complicated person to first see yourself in, you know. Complicated is one word. We'll get into that later. (laughs) (laughs) When was the first time, if you remember, that you did notice him? Because you were a kid, right? Yeah. You know, I was probably five or six. And a memory that comes into really sharp focus for me is being with a family member uh, in her living room and watching a game and his cheetah print hair which I always confuse with Cisco in 1999 cheetah print hair. But I think the 90s were very much about black men having cheetah print, which I wanted. But Dennis Rodman's uh, was the first I ever saw. Wait, were you in Chicago at the time or were you in Tennessee? No, I had not moved to Chicago yet where I moved for college. I was in Tennessee on like the Tennessee-Kentucky border in a a small town called Gallatin. Tennessee-Kentucky border, straight to my heart. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, let's get into it. I can't wait for this. There was a rumor I once heard in my family that I was actually named after Michael Jordan, Jordan being my middle name. But recently, I found out that not to be true, which is fine because he's not the Bulls player I cared about anyway. That was Dennis Rodman. If you're listening to this podcast, I'm going to assume you know who Dennis Rodman is. He's a five-time NBA champion, a Hall of Famer, a bad boy piston, a Bulls icon. Rodman battling for the rebound, saving it in! And Kerr snatches it out of the air! And kills it! And that's win in basketball! Dennis is one of the best basketball players in the history of the NBA. He is also one of the most famous queer people to ever play a sport. And his queerness is super, super complicated. Like most things touching the life of Rodman. Dennis famously went on Oprah Winfrey's show in 1996 and said he wasn't gay or bisexual physically, but said he was in his mind. Are you bisexual? No. You're not bisexual? No. In this book, you say that maybe in your mind you are. Yeah. And what does that mean? I can float with the idea. You can float with the idea? I can float with it, float with it, however you want to look at it. I can do anything I want Uh up here. That means I'm going to go out and act and do it. I Uh think... A lot of a lot of people a lot of people can say to you a lot of people say well 
I can never be with a man. You know, a lot of guys would say, I can never be with a man. Yeah. How can you say that you, you thought about it? Or you just say, you I cannot? Do you think all men have thought about it? Of course. Of course. What's so striking about this moment is how obsessed Oprah is with rigidly defining his sexuality and challenging him. It's obvious she and the audience definitely see him as such, which is important context here today. Because, to be honest, how he did live his life in public at the time was, and would be considered today, quite queer. So I wanted to learn more about the man who may be the first person I ever saw as a fellow black man to ever wear a dress or talk about trans people and do it all while being an NBA champion. Today, there are still so few openly gay male athletes. Shout out to the women though. And those queer people who are out are under attack in sports. As a journalist, I've been covering LGBTQ life for over a decade. And lately, things are getting bad for a big part of our community, specifically in sports. Just in the past year, more anti-LGBTQ bills have been introduced in the state legislature than ever before, specifically blocking trans kids from playing sports. Which brings me back to Dennis Rodman. Because I really want to know why Dennis Rodman was allowed to be so free, and why his own ability to do so didn't break a queer glass ceiling for all of us. I mentioned earlier about a family rumor that I was named after Michael Jordan. And that rumor comes from the woman who introduced me to the Chicago Bulls, my Aunt Yvette. So before I talked to her about the Bulls, I needed to clear this name thing up once and for all. And then I have to get something else out of the way. You know, my middle name is Jordan. And I heard a rumor once that I was named after Michael Jordan. Is that true or false? No, I forced your mama to put that in your name. And no. I read an article about the Jacksons and that one of the grandchildren's name it was Jordan, J-O-U-R-D-Y-N-E. Got it. And I thought, that's a cool name. And so, yeah, I, I nagged your mama too. She probably gave you that name to shut me up. That's just my guess. <laughs> so I'm not named after Michael Jordan. That makes sense because I'm not a big basketball fan. <laughs> um, but that's where I got that from. Got it. Okay. But you are a big Michael Jordan fan. Okay, so I said I wasn't going to say it, but Michael Jordan should have been my baby daddy. <laughs> I can't keep up hearing that on a regular. See why she's my favorite. All right, not named after Michael Jordan. Let's get to Dennis. And what was it like back then? I'm thinking like 1994, 95. What was it like to watch the Bulls from home and to see like this team, this dream team kind of dominating at the time? They had their issues at times. When like Scotty Pippen went through this time where he couldn't hit the ocean standing on the shore, you know, <laughs> there, there were things that didn't quite go right. But when it was right, it was really good. And I just loved watching it. And a person that made it right, I keep hearing all the time, is, is Dennis Rodman, who I think you have complicated feelings about. <laughs> what did you think about Dennis Rodman? <laughs> I was never a Dennis Rodman fan. There was never anything good about Dennis Rodman in the news. I'm not sure if anybody liked Dennis Rodman, Rodman, including Dennis Rodman. Complicated is a word people often use to describe Rodman. Complicated is a catch-all word, a word we use when we want to accept someone, even if they've done wrong or are just unusual. And for a Black NBA player in the 90s, 
Rodman was definitely an aberration. Oh, let's see. He married Carmen Electra. He, oh, oh, that dress. He wore a wedding dress. He really wore a wedding dress. I ain't mad at him, but yeah. Do you think people, or did you hear people talking about him being gay or anything at the time? Or did, was that an anxiety for people at all? I don't remember. I guess because I didn't think about it. Mm-hmm. I, yeah, I just never really gave it any thought. And I don't remember anybody saying anything about it. So I don't know. So I found it really curious that Dennis Rodman's flamboyant self wasn't a big deal to my Aunt Yvette in the middle of Tennessee in the 90s because it was such a a big deal to me back then. Yeah, it's funny you say that because I knew when we were going to do the story, I wanted to call my dad and see what he thought about all this. He's like my 90s NBA resource for everything. And when I called my dad... He really, the first things he talked about when I asked his impressions of Dennis Rodman from the 90s was how he was on the court. Mm. Very much Dennis Rodman is, does his job. He's like a nine to fiver on the court. Um, Even when he was a member of the Bad Boys, like my dad said, he was never the baddest. So I was surprised that it took us about 10 minutes to get to what Dennis was doing off the court. Because like you said, I mean, it was all over the media. I thought that would be the lasting impression for them. Yeah, and I agree. So I called up a friend. His name's Elsie Granderson. He is an ESPN commentator and host of ABC's Life Out Loud. And he's a black gay man who was in the closet in the 1990s and was a huge Pistons fan. Basketball was everything for me. It was always basketball. Being from Detroit, uh, the Detroit Pistons obviously were the number one thing. So in addition to being a fan of the sport, Learning more about the history of the sport was sort of how I sort of managed all of the things I was trying to avoid processing at the time, whether it was I grew up in an abusive household with my stepfather. Basketball was a way that I distracted myself from that. Obviously, you know, I was aware that I didn't have the vocabulary to say that I was gay, but I certainly recognized I was not straight and was trying Mm -hmm. to process what that meant. And playing basketball was sort of a way that I could distract myself from having to answer those questions anytime soon. And then later, unfortunately, basketball was a way that I kind of hid from people too, knowing that if I was good at sports, no one would think that I was gay. Mm. So basketball, both good and bad, was both uh, a way to uplift, but also as a way to sort of hinder me, you know, because if I didn't hide Zach, then maybe I would have processed it earlier. And who knows, I would have came out like at 15 or something like that. Who knows? You bring up a very real fact that in the 90s, there were no representations or forms of representation for people like us in the media at large, really anywhere. We had to go to Elin or go into the corners of the gay bookstore to find you know sprinkles of ourselves, which is what brings me to Dennis Rodman. What did you think of him when you first saw him? You know, growing up in Detroit, I was exposed to Dennis Rodman before, you know, the, the, the world at large was, right? You know, he was a really shy guy. I don't want to say he looked normal, but he certainly didn't express himself in any sort of gender-bending sort of way. So I first was exposed to and appreciated and fell in love with the athlete, Dennis Rodman, through a very heteronorm sort of lens. He was a rookie for us. I knew he was an older rookie. I knew his backstory. Rodman's backstory is fascinating. He was this kid from Texas, specifically Oak Cliff and Dallas. He had two sisters who were the real athletes of the family. And it wasn't until Rodman was done with high school and working as a janitor at the Dallas-Fort Worth airport that he even began to look like a basketball player. 
He grew from 5'7 to 6'7 basically overnight. The growth spurt was an opportunity for Dennis. He goes to Cook County College in Gainesville to play basketball again after an underwhelming high school career. Then he flunks out of Cook County and then is recruited to play at Southeastern Oklahoma State University. From there, the Pistons selected him with a third pick in the second round of the 1986 draft, which still seems pretty high for a guy who was mopping floors a couple years before. Not to mention, Dennis is 25 when he's drafted, much older than most rookies. His path to the NBA was bizarre and unrepeatable, which is to say, it was perfectly Rodman. And it really wasn't until he was traded from Detroit that he began to evolve into the Dennis Rodman that the larger world now recognized as him, that persona. Mm -hmm. So as he's evolving and and growing in his own personhood, uh, I am asking myself, okay, so who was that guy in Detroit? Mm. Was the guy in Detroit the fake Dennis Rodman or is this Dennis Rodman the fake Dennis Rodman? And that was really, for me as an adult, the first time I was confronted with continual growth. Wow. You know, I, I was a kid, you know, I was in my early 20s at the time, but I had assumed that once you reached a particular point in your life, the cement was dry. And here was Dennis Rodman, this guy I had recognized as like this tremendous energy player for the Detroit Pistons in our back-to-back championships. And I'm watching him now, a short time later, sort of represent something else that was foreign to me. And to your point, a little unnerving because it was a little too close to home, right? He was very, very comfortable having people call him gay. Mm-hmm. He was very comfortable having people wonder out loud about his sexual orientation. And then when he was dating Madonna, I was like, okay, is he fucking with us? Like, what is going on? <laughs> like, Largely for Rodman, it wasn't a big deal for him in regards to his career to be so queer, according to LZ. Of course, people had things to say, but due to him being such an amazing athlete, he was largely allowed to do whatever he wanted. And the public just watched on. But it didn't mean everything for Rodman was amazing on the inside. I talked to LZ about this. Why do you think Dennis Rodman took this route of a very, I would say, just very queer aesthetic in public? You know, that is a fantastic question, because I think just saying he enjoyed the attention is oversimplifying the calculus behind it. You know, someone said that drag was a way of distancing ourselves from our trauma. So once we assume this persona, the persona of the previous person doesn't necessarily have to follow us or at least isn't present at the moment when we're this alter ego, if you will. You may not remember this story, but it's been well reported that one night he was found alone with a shotgun in his vehicle and was contemplating suicide. Rodman talked about this incident in a 2011 interview with Graham Bessinger. In your book, you say you were, those thoughts were going through your Yes, absolutely. Uh, I, was a, I just wanted to kill that individual. Not, not, not Dennis Rodman. I just wanted to kill the individual because I was too much of a follower. Rodman was open back then about how the people who made him feel most accepted and safe were LGBTQ people. 
1995, when he was with the San Antonio Spurs, Rodman was on the cover of Sports Illustrated dressed in black lingerie. His hair is red, his ears and nose are pierced, and he's holding a parrot in his right hand. The title of the issue says Rare Bird, and it was so fucking cool. I think calling that cover revolutionary sells it short, especially when it comes to the impact it had for basketball, for gays everywhere, and for Rodman. Dennis took a lot of pride in that. I think he also found a lot of healing in it too, where he wasn't finding healing elsewhere. When the issue came out, Rodman says people reach out to him, telling him that they didn't know their community could be represented in this way, on Sports Illustrated and by a male athlete, let alone someone who was so aggressive and traditionally masculine on the court. But that wasn't universally true. What did you think as a person that was dealing with your own sexuality, seeing him work out through all this, whether it was his own healing or trauma? He was doing this in public. So what were you thinking or how do you, how do you kind of like deal with that, that fact? I'm still closeted when those championship runs start, but I am beginning to come out of that closet. And so my coming out sort of coincided with those championship runs with the, with the Chicago Bulls, coincidentally. And I don't think I drew from Dennis Rodman at that point. Dennis was someone I came to ignore as I was coming out, as I was coming to embrace my sexual orientation. And I think I ignored him because he didn't say he was queer. And I had already done enough trying to find myself by piecemealing bits and pieces of other people in the public eye because there wasn't an openly gay Black man who loves sports in the public that I could just turn to and just get it all in one spot. Yeah. Which I I get because, you know, he sat on Oprah's couch and said, she asked him about his bisexuality and he kind of trivializes it. You say too that men and women are offering themselves to you all the time and yet you still haven't. No, I haven't. You know, I can't lie to say I haven't kissed a man on the lips. Mm -hmm. But if you look, you go back and if you have a son, how many times do you kiss him on the lips when he's a little kid? I'm not talking about that. I'm just understanding. I'm, I'm just saying. I'm just saying. Dennis. I'm not talking about I'm the little son and kissing him on the lips. I'm talking I'm about big saying. old grown Dennis Rodman. Yeah. I have no problem kissing him. If, if I have a friend that's gay or bisexual, if he wants to kiss me on the lips, he kisses me on the lips. I don't care. Mm-hmm. It don't mean that I'm gay or bisexual, uh-huh. but I can kiss him on the lips. And I feel like at the time as you're coming out of your your own closet, that would be hard to hear to see this man who's playing with the aesthetic, but saying like, I don't actually do that, that part. A lot of the antics that he did or was accused of were very disruptive to the game that I loved. And so even though I was wrestling with my sexual orientation, I never wrestled with my love of ball, with my love of the NBA, and was very protective of that. So in some ways, I felt that Dennis was disrespecting my game. So even though he might have come out and that may have spoken to one aspect of me, um, because he was so offensive to the other aspect, I really couldn't fuck with him like that anyway. (laughs) (laughs) And, And it's funny because that is something that is not unique to Dennis Rodman. That is something that's not unique to the NBA. We treat our celebrities like they're royalty. And we like our athletes to be gods. Mm. And that's the way that we talk about them, the way that they're marketed to us, and certainly the way that they are covered. So one of my biggest pet peeves is like when an athlete like fucks up and 
finds themselves suspended or, you know, fined or whatever. And then they come back and they have like a great game, right? Like if it's basketball, they score like 30 points and hit the game when he shot. People will say, oh, they've redeemed themselves. And I'm like, no, 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 no. They weren't suspended because they weren't good players. Mm -hmm. And going back to being a good player doesn't erase what they did that got them suspended in the first place. But we forgive like that. That's how we equate like that. I, We've all seen athletes who have been accused of sexual assault be welcomed back because they're really good at this sport. And then after like a couple of like reports and, you know, a column here or there from me or some other people, then we just go back to life as normal because they've come back and they play the sport really well. And that's what we care about most. Elsie is right. People excuse athletes all the time for what they do off the court as long as they are good on the court. Mm. I mean, the worst allowance we see the most regularly is fans turning the other way when an athlete is accused of domestic violence or, you know, saying that the victim had it coming or she's lying for fame or money, which is so unintelligible for so many reasons. And But Dennis Rodman went there too. It feels like to me, everyone has totally forgotten how violent he's been toward other people yeah it's just not even part of his story in 1999 he was arrested on battery charges after getting in a fight with carmen electra in 2003 a woman reported that he assaulted her in 2008 he was charged with domestic violence for allegedly hitting his girlfriend in a hotel what i will never ever forget is what carmen electra said about dating dennis rodman she said It was definitely an occupational hazard to be his girlfriend. Mm. And it's confusing to me, honestly, Zach, that it might have been harder for people to accept the sides of Dennis that were flamboyant or harmlessly expressive or joyful or artistic than the sides that were harmful to other people, like legitimately harmful. I don't even really like mentioning them in the same space because it gets too close to conflating them. But there is something in knowing that Anything that happens in an athlete's real life can be overlooked. Yeah. As long as that athlete is good. That's the lesson here. And Dennis Rodman was good. And you know, Dennis is an anomaly in the NBA for this because he is Dennis Rodman and we don't have a ton of other gay or queer men to compare him to. All the examples we have in the NBA are people like John Amachi, who came out in 2007 and was never great, and he only came out once he had retired. And then we have Jason Collins, who came out in Sports Illustrated at 34 years old, right before he retired, by saying, I'm a 34-year-old NBA center, I'm black, and I'm gay. But neither of these were watershed moments. They were more like drops in a bucket. There's the aspect that they don't feel they're good enough to be out. In other words... You know, Michael Sam, for instance, uh, drafted, big story, but because I believe he was a seventh-round pick, he wasn't guaranteed to make the team to begin with, and then this was just one more added element. Not suggesting that the that the Rams, the team that drafted him, or the NFL at large, targeted him per se, but certainly it was one other factor in terms of deciding whether or not he was going to be a teammate. Do we want that publicity of having a gay player on our team or would we rather have blah, 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 blah? If his talent was undeniable, that calculus is adjusted. But because his talent was deniable, it was an easier decision um, in terms of moving on without him. So there's that. Am I good enough to come out? 
And then there's the third one, and I think this is the biggest one of all. Am I willing to say I'm gay? Mm. Am I willing to come out to myself? You know, a lot of the guys that I spoke to were closeted, Zach, didn't like the label. Yeah. Because it, it reflected something different than what they saw themselves as. And it's a conversation that I could relate to because, as I said, I wasn't seeing myself reflected in the larger um, community either. So I understood that part of it. What I'm having a hard time doing uh, and have not been successful at is trying to convince these men they could be that example they were looking for. And the biggest thing any of us, you, me, Jason Collins, or anyone can do to give the next generation hope is having the courage to stand up and say, I am here and I'm not going anywhere. It's simple, but as you know, just because it's simple doesn't mean that it's not hard. Yeah. Yeah. So days after I spoke to LZ, something incredible happened. An active NFL player named Carl Nassib from the Las Vegas Raiders came out as gay, becoming the first person in the NFL to do so while on a team. What's up, people? I'm Carl Nassib. I'm at my house here in Westchester, Pennsylvania. Just want to take a quick moment to say that I'm gay. I've been meaning to do this for a while now, but I finally feel comfortable enough to get it off my chest. What's true for both Rodman in the 90s and Nassib today is that acceptance in male professional sports has everything to do with how good you are at the game. But is that fair? I spoke to NFL player Ryan Russell, who was the first person to play professional football while being out as bisexual. I mean, it's the same with any marginalized community, you know, whether it is um, getting a promotion at work, whether it is, you know, signing a deal to play for a team, writing a show, whatever it is. I mean, we see, (laughs) sad to say, I mean, this is just the way things are, but you know, good, average, solid people get jobs, they get paid, they get to play on teams. So why can't that also be, you know, marginalized voices, (laughs) where it's like, I'm good enough to be here, I don't have to be the best person in this room to be in this room. Like, that doesn't, that's not fair. And it doesn't make sense. Sure. On the surface, one could say, yes, it should be about how good you are at the game. Being gay doesn't matter then. But that's actually not fair. Being trapped in a closet on or off the court is actually detrimental to folks like me. Many studies show that having to hide yourself leads to a lot of negative impacts on your health and well-being. And what's ironic to Ryan Russell is that Rodman proves that the focus right now should be on letting athletes be who they really are, because they only become better when they do, according to Ryan. Which actually brings us to the onslaught of anti-trans bills we are seeing directly targeting trans kids across the country that are wanting to deny kids even the possibility of ever being their full self in all aspects of their lives. Can I interrupt you for a second? Oh yeah, for sure. This feels like a chicken and the egg situation to me Mm -hmm. because if a closeted male athlete who competes as male can just be open with their sexuality and gender, they'll be better at their sport. They'll be more comfortable in life. That's the thesis here. Mm. But maybe only the best athletes competing in male sports feel like they can even begin to think about coming out like a Dennis Rodman. Mm -hmm. Because if you're average, maybe that plays in how much a team will want you, right? I mean, that's... That was the argument with Michael Sam. 
I think the difference between male and female competitors is very obviously rooted in toxic masculinity. Yes, which is one of the reasons why these anti-trans bills that are sweeping across America right now are so devastating. They aren't allowing these young athletes to even have the opportunity to be their full selves in every aspect of their life. So, you know, as I was reading your piece again this morning, it made me think about Dennis Rodman, because he's also from the South, low-income Black person. Um, And sports was such a vehicle for him and for you to get out of your communities and start making these wonderful impacts in the world through sports. So what happens if these young trans kids or any LGBT kid doesn't eventually, if they're not allowed to be their full selves in sports in the future, now that you guys are living so openly, what's the kind of fallout from that if we don't actually move to be inclusive? Because as you're saying, like, it's getting younger and younger, and young kids are more queer than ever. So if these institutions don't change, what do you think is going to happen next? I mean, from a sports perspective, also, you take out Dennis Rahman. Dennis Rahman isn't allowed to be Dennis Rahman. You know, do do we get um, the bad boy Pistons of Detroit? Do we get this great team um, for Chicago, do you, you know, do we get these big legacies? And that is something that I believe is across the board, what would happen if you don't allow LGBTQ plus kids, specifically trans kids to, to be a part of sports is you lose that, that, that great champion story. You lose rooting for the underdog and watching them become a dynasty. You lose so much talent, you know, and that's, and that's just me thinking from a sports perspective is, the more people we have in it, especially the more diverse groups and the more people that want it and fight for it, the better the sport becomes. You know, competition breeds greatness. Like, that's what I was taught as an athlete. Um, also, from the perspective of someone in the community, who needs a team, which is a family? Who needs um, coaches, which are parental figures or mentors? Who needs, you know, praise and validation and acceptance, which is something that sports specifically gives kids? Who needs that more than the trans community. Who needs that more? You know what I'm saying? Like the people that can really benefit from what sports gives us um, are being denied that. They need it more than anyone. I remember freaking going to football practice and loving going to football practice. I knew afterwards my coach take me out for a meal. There are kids not eating, you know, that, that need that support. There are people who also just have not, literally haven't been celebrated or praised or just told good job in their day to day. So I, I think on both sides, I think it's in the the macro state of things, I think it'd be great for sports. I think it would be great for these leagues and for the profession on the micro side of things. These kids need this more than anyone. You know, how many people come out and lose their family and lose friends and, and don't have a safe place to go? I always knew my locker room was a safe place to go. You know, especially as a young kid, I knew there were other, there'd be other black kids in there with me. I knew we all had similar situations for the most part, or they could understand. And I felt safe there. You know, and there are kids, specifically trans kids, who don't feel safe anywhere. Um, yeah. And they, they need that. So you brought up a really good fact and a really, and it feeds into my, my final question before I let you go back to your life. And that it's the fact that if we had not allowed Dennis Rodman to be Dennis Rodman, we wouldn't have these great teams like the Pistons or the Bulls. That that is an intrinsic part of this, that to let Dennis be free allowed for these teams to also be great. So my final question for you, Ryan, is would you say then that Dennis Rodman being free in the 90s allowed you the power to come out later in your life? Of course. That, I don't even got to think about that. I stand upon the shoulders of Dennis Rodman and so many other, even the athletes in the NFL that have come out 
after and retired, even Michael Sam, who came out before mm-hmm. he got drafted, you know, I, I stand on all their shoulders. There would not be a Ryan Russell without a Dennis Rodman. There wouldn't be a lot of athletes in the closet or otherwise without a Dennis Rodman. Um, I would even dare to say there would not be a iconic Chicago Bulls team in the way that there would without a Dennis Rodman. Um, and I hope that I can be that for future athletes coming up. I hope that athletes in the sport now see their power and see that they are paving the way, not just for their own career and success and their own love of the game, which is all great, um, but for future generations of athletes. Because we, the funny thing about sports is we will all stop playing, especially professionally, especially in these leagues. Mm-hmm. It we Everyone's career will end. Um, but what did you leave? And not just that team, not just that franchise, not just those owners making money. What did you leave the sport? What did you leave um, the culture of of the game? And that's that's Dennis Rodman. In fact, that's why we're talking about him today. You know <laughs> that, and, and that is why they will be talking about him um, even when I'm done playing, even long past we're all gone. A phrase I use a lot in my own life is possibility model instead of role model. It's a phrase that I think helps characterize what people like Rodman do for people like me. He wasn't perfect. He was actually pretty harmful to a lot of other people. He had a lot he was going through and probably still working through. But his life shows people what's possible. And that's what LGBTQ people like Ryan Russell or Elsie Granderson or Carl Nassib or even myself, deeply want on and off the court. People just want the ability to be able to bring their full selves to whatever they do, and through that, be able to be the best they can. Rodman tips. Has anybody ever been better than keeping the ball alive like that? And he was fighting. I was five or six years old when I saw a black man with cheetah print hair, and he existed, and he was messy, and he was free. This episode of Spinsters was written and reported by Zach Stafford and hosted by Jordan Liggins and me. Our editor is Alex Ward with production by Alex, Isabel Jocelyn, Harry Krinsky, and Jordan. Our production coordinator is Devin Shepard and our executive producers are Peter Moses, John Yales, and me. Sam. This is Alyssa from New Hampshire, and I was calling because I wanted to tell you guys about why I love the W so much. And I've been thinking and thinking and brainstorming and writing lists for you about why I love the W, but I think the most important reason comes down to one thing, and it's very apropos for Pride Month that I tell you that the reason I love the W is because it is so gay. I, as a gay person, spend most of my time surrounded by not gay people, and I think the fact that there's this league that exists, that it's just players who happen to be gay, it doesn't affect how they play or not play, 
Can Brittany Griner dunk better because she's gay? No. But is it amazing to watch someone dunk and also think to myself, she's gay too? It just, it warms my heart. It makes me feel great. It's my favorite thing about it. I love knowing what players are dating who. I love knowing that my favorite team has at least one gay player on it. I just, I love everything about it. So thanks. Love you guys. Bye.